Welcome back to the For the Sake of Argument podcast number 10. This is a follow-up to number eight and number nine, and we're going to go over a few things still related to firearms. We're going to cover some ATF rule changes. Um, they are seeking input from the community. They're looking for uh, any citizen here in the United States to render an opinion as far as gun control, gun control legislation, that sort of thing. And specifically, in this case, they're asking about things related to pistol regulations. Uh, what is going to be considered a pistol versus a rifle, what's going to need an SBR tax permit, what's going to be considered all other weapons, and we'll go into that. We're also going to talk about the effect that it would have on the economy, and uh, more specifically the pistol brace enforcement that has been somewhat shoddy at best lately by the ATF, where pistol braces related to firearms have been both okay and not okay based on seemingly uh, arbitrary means. Uh, Some people are getting letters of approval and others aren't. So enjoy the final portion of this recording that Red and I sat down and discussed these firearm issues. Thanks for joining us. So with his viewpoint on that, I realized that I'm, I need to be okay with the idea that yes, there is a certain point at which the people of the United States are just going to have to stand up for their rights. And if there's going to continue to be government entities, whether it be the president, the cabinet, uh, his administrations, um, the ATF, whoever it is, when they start making these, what I consider to be insightful stances of saying they're going to take something that was previously legal and able for you to own and put it in a category where you're now a felon for owning or possessing it. They are for, they're, they're making people felons. They're well, f- and that goes back, that goes back to the brace thing, right? So they're, they're talking about potentially making millions of gun owners felons overnight by, by having those overnight. Right. And the with thing is, no is, clear way to be able to properly register it and take care of it to where you can prevent yourself from breaking the law in the meantime. <laughs> Right. And the thing is that most of like there are a lot of people who have these braces. They're not regularly plugged into the Second Amendment community. No, they very well might have no idea that this kind of stuff is coming down the line. Now, right now, this is a proposed rule change. And, you know, talking about what we can do to fight. There are a lot of things that we can do to fight before it ever comes to actually bearing arms. And one of the things that we can do to fight is that this is something that like this is a proposed rule change right now. There is a way that you can submit a letter that that gives your opinion on this new rule change. Now, if you're going to submit a letter, pay attention to a few things. First of all, you can't do it anonymously. If you do it anonymously, it'll get thrown out. But you don't have to say that you have anything in, in that letter. You can just speak your, your your mind on it. Which is funny that I have an opinion on this because I don't own anything that qualifies under the tax stamp. So. Neither do I. But I have an opinion on it and I'm making it heard. <laughs> right. I, I wound up buying one of the braces because I saw one of like just a stupid cheap deal on it. And I'm like, you know, I'd like to put together one of those someday. But... I have no idea when that's going to be. And if this passes, it might never be, but it's something that we've got to, we've got to fight against. And, but you can, so first of all, you can't be anonymous. Uh, second of all, don't, don't swear. Don't get belligerent. Don't get angry and, and start insulting them because they will just throw it out and that it won't go count towards anything. Um, second of all, don't go off on other tangents. Like try to keep it topical. Don't keep talk it about to, political issues. Don't talk about anything right, else. Try to keep it to related to the area of, of, of braces. Uh, there are a lot of other shortcomings with the ATF, but 
try to keep it try to keep it on topic um we'll try to keep waco out of the conversation <laughs> right yeah don't go off on a waco tangent don't stop start talking about how they like to kill dogs just yeah try to keep it keep it related to the braces and then don't just copy and paste something that somebody else did they, they have to be individual out. <laughs> right it has to be individual submissions and they have to be unique submissions now if there are t- frankly we, we get a lot of of times where the ATF proposes rule changes and we have to make submissions to say, Hey, we don't agree with this. So if you want to create like a, a somewhat form letter that you can go into and that you can make modifications to just make it more applicable to the certain things. So you don't have to write the entire thing out every time by all means go for it. I, I completely support that, but it has to be, think of it like a, a an assignment that you turn in on, on like online school, they're going to run it through and make sure that it doesn't completely match up 100% with something that somebody else wrote. They'll run it through an algorithm. Right. And the reality is they're not going to read your comments, but if they see an overwhelming response, (laughs) right, they may pay attention to it. Right. Now this is something that we, we talked about how this is, this is essentially turning millions of gun overs into potential felons overnight. Their estimate is that 3 million people own these braces. Mm -hmm. Listening to an interview with the guy who runs the company, he sold a lot more than 3 million. (laughs) Right. So he's pretty sure that that would be a lot more people out there. Now, the thing is, it's it's more impact than that. This is something that really frustrates me is that in the proposed rule change that the ATF lists, they, they, they brought up this uh, affected populations, cost and benefits. So the affected population, eight manufacturers of affected stabilizing braces would potentially go bankrupt. Three thousand eight hundred and eighty one manufacturers of short barreled rifles that have a stabling brace attachments. So essentially what they're saying is like uh, manufacturers who make guns that put these braces on there and then sell them. 3,881 would be affected by this, that one of their, their things that they're regularly selling would become illegal or regulated. Um, 13,210 dealers of short-barreled rifles that have a stabilizing brace. So essentially, I, I'm going to stop saying short-barreled rifles that have a stabilizing brace and just say AR pistols mm-hmm. or pistols braced pistols. Um, 1.4 million firearm owners who have purchased pistols with stabilizing braces attach those braces who intend to purchase them in the future. And so I know I saw 3 million at some other point, but this is 1.4. And again, the the owner of the company says that it's way more than that. That's grossly underrated. Costs. 125.7 million at 7%. I don't know what the 7% is. I, I, I should have looked for more of an explanation of this. Um, and so I think they're saying at 7% of people who uh, are affected, um, 114.7 million at 3%, uh, total qualified from the industry to uh, the government annualized is 2.1 million at 7% and 17.2 million at 3%. Um, Essentially, what they're saying is that these would these would be massive costs to the industry, massive costs to individual people, to manufacturers, to dealers. Like all of these people would now be having to face, but like 
not millions individually, but millions collectively towards trying to make all of this stuff legal or having to surrender weapons that are illegal it's kind of or destroy weapons that are illegal. Yeah, it's, it's disgusting. You know what's kind of gross about this is who's benefiting? The ATF directly because they're the one that issues the NFA's tax stamp, right? Yeah. And they use that for what? Enforcement purposes. Well, the so you're is, just bolstering the ATF by going and getting an SBR at that point. Well, and the thing is, the ATF actually, the, the NFA actually loses the government money. All of the man hours and work that goes into being able to provide all of those, uh, the ta- the background checks and everything, and the registration and tracking and all that stuff behind tax stamps, does not. It costs way, way more than the amount of money that is earned from those tax stamps. Which is really confusing to me in a, in a couple of ways. Number one, it's not it's cost prohibitive to continue to restrict. It is. One. It is absolutely cost prohibitive to continue to restrict. Number two, there's no you're making a market impact that's going to mean people losing their jobs literally, and you're yes. going to take away a section of the market. Comp- people losing their jobs, people losing their companies, yeah, people losing their property people going to prison, like all of this stuff for something that was not illegal before. Now you're making it illegal specifically to turn people into to felons, which frankly, that tracks with the NFA because they they made something illegal because they could not get people for what they actually were doing illegal. We talked about that during the NFA podcast, how the entire purpose was not to necessarily to restrict all of these items. That that was a major purpose was to restrict all these items, but was that, Hey, now we can go after all of these mobsters and stuff because they have the stuff without the tax stamp. So they're evading right. taxes. So we can arrest them for that Yep. because they couldn't actually get them for the crimes they were committing. And then if we don't, we at least know exactly where each and every one of these items are. Yeah. Because they'll be registering them. And so we'll have a gun well, registry. And, and you had to go through like a, a, basically a permission process with, um, with like your local uh, law enforcement stuff. So if the law enforcement, if they're dirty, absolutely, they'll, they'll just push it right through, which a lot of them were at the time. But if they're not dirty, then they can say, no, I know that you're Bugs Moran and you <laughs> work for him and you're not going to get one uh, permission to get an NFA item. Well, then they just go and shoot him corruption. and put somebody else in, pro- in, in there. But. <laughs> well, but here's that. This is kind of that, that last point that I have on this whole thing is that this doesn't, this allows the ATF all this control, all this restriction to follow and, and chase these cases and to, you know, hey, you're illegally owning this firearm. You make all these people illegal overnight. And it does nothing to quell the actual original problem. What is the original problem here? That's what I don't understand. What statistics supports any of this that's to say that by making these restrictions, that there's anything that's statistically that has changed at all. And, and you've got to bring some benefit to the table. There's all negatives. Where's the benefit? They're not going to shorten the process of getting an SBR stamp. Well, in they're not going to shorten the process of getting in an NFA stamp, which is still at around a year long still to this point. Yeah. If I filed an application today, it would take minimum of a year to get a stamp for no, a suppressor. I would say minimum, but it would. For a suppressor, absolutely right now. There's still people waiting 18 months later. Okay. Well, I know the last time, the, the last person that I knew that got a suppressor wound up getting his paperwork all finished in eight months. Like, probably, not, not the paperwork, got the, all the approval and everything. Probably because months. he had one previously. If you no, are new. No, it wasn't, but it was also several years previous. 
So that might have been okay. I'm talking about over the last couple of years. I know what you're talking about. It stepped up, and the only people getting approved quickly on these are people who have already purchased one in the past, and and so they were like, "Hey, we already did the background. We already know they're going to approve it. You know, there's there's nothing that's changed here through a simple background check. Okay, go ahead and give them their stamp. If you're all new to buying a stamp, they're like, "Hmm, what's your purpose for that? I'm not sure if we like that. And and to me, it's an arbitrary process. It is. What matrix are they using? Number one to justify it, but number two to justify not giving you one if they don't give you one well and especially suppressors if you qualify for a firearm they should not be able to restrict you from having the, the nfa tax stamp and yet they're holding people out for 18 months yeah for what? absolutely well and especially suppressors suppressors are something that are a completely unregulated item in most countries where firearms are, are legally purchased in fact there are a lot of countries where if you are hunting you are required to have a suppressor and I mean, that's, that's, there are a lot of benefits to that. First of all, there are a lot of hunters that don't wear ear protection mm-hmm. and that's really dumb, but well, they want to be well, able to, you want to hear the animal coming. Exactly. It's really dumb from a standpoint of maintaining your hearing, but I understand that you, you want to hear the animal coming. You want to be able to he- like to hear your surroundings and there are, a, there's electronic hearing protection now that will able to amplify sounds and there's even, but you have to pay more money for the stuff that has multi-directional microphones for you to be able to distinctly identify where the sound is coming from. So I understand that. But having a suppressor is not going to make the sound silent. It's going to drop it down to a hearing safe level where you're not causing potentially, yes, yeah. where you're not causing a potential long-term damage to that person's hearing. They also do it from a standpoint of not destroying trying to cause less disturbance to people around you. Cause anybody who's been out in hunting season knows like you can be, well, you can be a long way away from somebody and you hear that shot. And it's not just you, you're actually putting a pressure onto that, onto that prey animal that you're going for. So yes, whether that's true deer or Turkey, you're you know, like, there's a whole thing, you know, that like after the first morning of the first day of the hunt, you're lucky if you see something for a couple of days, every, every animal goes and beds down and hides and doesn't want anything to do with anything. Cause there's super heightened. And so you're stressing the population, which causes all kinds of problems. There's all kinds of stats that support it in, in conservation that show that as you stress animals with the hunting pressure, you create all kinds of abnormal behavior. You create all kinds of abnormal dietary issues. You, then you start getting you know chronic waste disease and all these other issues to start popping up because you get congregating herds into, into less populated areas. So there's less hunting pressure. There's all these things that come from it. And so yeah. it just makes sense to run a suppressor. But again, going back, like this is the point i really like i legitimately mean this red i wish somebody could bring something to the table in conversation either on our on our podcast podcast facebook group or directly to us if they know us but get us like i really want to understand what significant statistical change has there been since the invention of sbrs and since the invention of putting nfa stamp on sbrs and any of that that that, number one that there's been an increase in usage of ar pistols versus sbrs in crimes i don't think that's been the case at all no actually there was an interview Finish your point. I'll, I'll okay. give you. I'll give you the answer to that. Yeah. Well, part of an answer, right? Because I don't think the stats are easy to get. Number one, but number two, like I want to understand what it, what is bringing this to a head. What is causing this an issue? Other than they want their money to process and register these firearms. No, they just they. It's not about money. They don't make enough money from this process. They get something rather than nothing. They get something rather okay, but no. The thing is, it gives them something to do. No, 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 like no, no. If you're no, sitting no. in an office, they're, they're in the already ATF. ATF is already short staffed. I know. And if you're sitting in that office, you're like, boy, if we got more laws to regulate, maybe we can get that budget back. Well, the ATF's been losing budget since um, since Waco. 
and we can do an entire podcast on Waco and Ruby I would actually Ridge. really like to. I yeah. really would like to go into that because there's specific reasons to, not just for the history of it, which is super important, and not because it's a fanatical thing on either side. Is because there's some nasty history there, number one. Yes, there but is. But number two, we've just had Biden select somebody who was on the ATF and directing the operation at Waco, yeah. who is now being placed in as the director of the ATF. He's been submitted for the directorship of the ATF. He's, he, from what I understand, he's through the confirmation process. No. The, the, I think the vote's supposed to be next week. Is it? The final vote. I think Maybe that'd be a good time to have the podcast about him. <laughs> yeah. So if, yeah, and Chipman, I don't remember his first name. I think it's Andrew, but Chipman, look him up. Yeah. Super bad dude. Talk to your senators. Tell them not to vote for this guy because this is. Beyond not vote for him, call him on the crap. Right. This, this is a guy who is, this guy has no business being in any government entity because of the amount of distaste that he has shown for the American citizen mm-hmm. as a whole. Uh, and again, we, we should do that. We should talk about Ruby Ridge and talk about Waco and we can go into all that. But um, stepping back from that standpoint, talking about um, the talking about the braces. So um, again, with that interview that I was listening to with Colin Noir, with the guy, Colian Noir, who uh, the, with the interview with the guy who invented the brace, Mm -hmm. uh, he was talking about how since the invention of the brace, there have been two cases of somebody using them in a crime or maybe it was a mass shooting, but still like that's, or uh, some sort of assault. Anyway, I'd have to go back and listen to it again, (laughs) but yeah, two cases out of millions of ownership, millions of, of owners. That is a statistical zero. Mm-hmm. That That is an, an anomaly in the data. So there's, there's no justification for this other than we don't want people to have them. Right. Or we see people, because you get on YouTube, you're going to see people shouldering them. Mm-hmm. There are people who absolutely shoulder them. And the ATF, to be specific, has already indicated that they're not worried about people who are momentarily bracing it with their shoulder. They've actually gone back and forth on that multiple times. So the last reading, from no, the last I agree sources with you. I've checked, have said I agree with you. they pulled back originally. They had said if you're shouldering it for X amount of shots, if you're shouldering it for more than this amount of time, they're saying if you make momentary contact. Now they're saying if, the, if you are bracing the pistol against your shoulder, you're not in violation of the firearms purpose, technically, just by that alone. Yeah, it would you're, require you're, other things happening. You're using it incorrectly. That's not the way it was designed. Right. It doesn't but mean you're breaking a law. Right. So anyway, the thing is, like, they're, they're not going to generate enough money through increased tax stamps in order to get... To, to make up for the amount of work that they do in passing those tax stamps and clearing those tax stamps. What this is, is this is saying, number one, hey, we don't want you guys to have this. And number two, hey, we're pissed off at you guys for trying to subvert our rules. Mm-hmm. Well, and specifically the industry, because that's who they've gone after. Not necessarily personal gun owners. They're really going after the manufacturers of these you know, devices yeah. and saying, you are trying to subvert us. And the the pistol brace manufacturers are like... Are you, are you kidding me? You, well, you gave us a set of rules and regulations and guidelines, and we submitted these, and you gave us a temporary letter of approval saying this appears to fit within the confines of what we consider to no, be a pistol brace. Not just a temporary brace. letter. They, they've given them, like, the, the 
a the legal standard. Thing. Like he gave yeah. him like a, a full notebook right. of stuff that was basically that was his approval, but like with all these caveats and things like that, there's yep. all ridiculous stuff. And they have and approved- he's had multiple meetings with them. And they've approved multiple versions of the brace. Right. Not, go, not just the SB tactical one. There was like, I think three or four braces. They said fall under the ATF's guideline for that exemption. The rest of them are outside of that. And so there was like, there's even the scare last summer of like, oh man, ATF is going to go squash anyone that's purchased one of these particular braces, but not these ones. It was a whole thing of like, oh my gosh, these manufacturers didn't have this letter because what was happening? Manufacturers were looking and going, oh my gosh, that, that SB4 brace, I can make that in a heartbeat. I can make that so much better by doing this and this and this and this, and it still have the same function. But just the way that the ATF handed that letter and said that this is an exemption for this company doesn't mean that you get that exemption. And so it's just, it's to me, it's just arbitrary. Again, things should be clearly defined and clearly uh, reasonable for a manufacturer to work around. They shouldn't require all these hoops. And you're basically requiring each one of these manufacturers to independently come to you with a specific, not just the brace itself. They want you to come with a specific rifle that it's going to be on to be able to say, does this qualify? And that's basically why the ATF is backpedaling on what they gave the original, you know, SBA four guy the letter for. They're trying to backpedal on that, and they're and his attorneys are saying, no, you gave me this letter. The reason they're trying to backpedal is they're saying, well in combination with X, Y, and Z on the firearm that it's placed on, that would qualify as an SBR, and therefore you are trying to subvert our rules. Yeah. No, we're not. The person who put it on their firearm is. So maybe you need to do a better job of explaining what you're going to consider an SBR well, and not. That's, but that's what they're doing, is that they're making it so that it would be going after the people for what they're doing. But if you're somebody who's trying to get around having an SBR by putting a brace on there, because, hey, this wasn't designed as a stock, it's not as as... It's not as effective as a stock, but I'm still going to shoulder it. Then now you're saying, oh, well, I, I might get hit with a violation of the NFA if I do that. So I'm just not going to buy it. So right. you're going to have, there will still be people out there that will buy these braces and mm-hmm. use them for their intended purposes. But there are a lot of people who will not buy them because they're afraid of getting slapped with, with, uh, charges. And there are people who actually do intend on using them for their purposes, but a lot of these lists and, and of things that are on here, and if you want to go through the full one, I would recommend going um, watching uh, the Firearm Collective um, TGC, uh, watching their video on it. Uh, there is one part where he makes a mistake um, where he talks about they have a, a deal on here that discusses uh, modifying a firearm that was originally uh, or modifying a stock that w- was originally uh, a stock into a brace. And he says, nobody does that. That's not true. Yes. Yeah, um, there is a guy, uh, Dan Haga, who just makes some really, really cool stuff. And one of the things that he does is he makes, there are some firearms out there, uh, CZ Scorpion, CZ Brent two, um, the, the B and T pattern rifles, um, the scar, like a lot of rifles out there that, have a folding stock on them that he's gone on and he's made modifications. He's made an aftermarket part that you can take off the folding stock part of it. You can take out the the actual part that has the stock and put this in there and put in um, what's a thing that made by a company called gearhead works. It's called the tail hook. And what it is, is it's this big kind of loop thing that it can open up so that you can actually, it acts as a, like a counterbalance. It's a lever that will then your arm will, your arm will rest on it. It will be go down underneath counterweight, right? It goes down underneath your arm. And so hooks onto your arm and acts to stabilize very similar to the brace, the, 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 
Except the strapped brace holding from the bottom. Except yeah, it's not it's not wrapped around your arm. Your arm is resting on it, acting as a counterbalance. But anyway, it puts these onto those aftermarket parts that then they replace the stock with. So that would that would count as a, something that was originally a stock that was modified to become a brace. It still acts as a brace. It's still intended to be a brace, but. Anyway, that's well. Other than that, he's he's really on point with a lot of the stuff that he talks about. Going through, he goes through the entire checklist of items, of things that would make, um, that would add points, qualifying something as more towards being a, um, a braced, uh, yeah, an SBR with a brace as opposed to being a braced pistol. But again, there there are some of these things on here that you could be in violation having enough points and obviously not be. A, a braced pistol, like not even necessarily be, um, have, have a brace on there. Right. Like we talked about how the original, uh, pistol buffer tubes have that, um, that foam rubber the padding, on. padding on there, but you could still put a bunch of these items on there and still, and make it qualify as an SBR, even though it doesn't have a stock on there. Right. And either, uh, there are a few other companies that make similar things that aren't really braces. They don't have anything for you to rest the, to put on your shoulder yeah. or in, really into the hollow of your shoulder. They don't have anything there that you could shoulder the rifle but or the pistol. But it would still, be, because it would have enough of these attributes on there, it would qualify. So it, it's completely arbitrary. And it's just them trying to, to flex their muscle on us. Uh, uh, yeah. And, and my last point on that before I move on to like the last little subject I want to cover is... I, I, for the life of me, having been somebody who's been on fire my, my whole life, who's actually had legitimate training on its usage in gunfights in saving the lives of others and self-defense and all these situations for the life of me, I cannot understand the usefulness of making it an NFA item versus not an NFA item. When it comes to the actual practical use of the firearm, there's nothing that makes it better or worse. It's all about the training on that specific weapon system that makes you efficient or not efficient, that makes you lethal or not lethal. It's about your mens rea that makes you lethal. It is not about your, so again, your mindset. It's about your mindset that makes you lethal. It's not about the firearm that you're carrying or how it's designed or how it, how you hold it or how you fire it. It is just, that's what I mean by like, this is the part I can't understand. There's nothing that I can wrap my head around that's tangible that says just by looking at a firearm based off of physiological appearance, right? Based off the physiology of the build of that firearm that the NFA can look at and say, that's more deadly than the other. It's just, it just doesn't make sense. There's nothing that adds up to, well, to like a plus B does not equal C in this. Like, well, and just the idea that, Oh, well they'd be able to take an SBR into uh, a business or something and, and, and shoot people. It's, it's concealable. Well, the thing is, yeah, most of a lot of us carry pistols in, into places and, the other, the other idea is that, okay, well, if somebody else is able to conceal a rifle into a business or something, so can a good guy. Absolutely. I've seen a lot of people have, have carbines or have either the pistols or even short barreled rifles that they conceal in backpacks mm -hmm. because you can fold them up in, into backpacks. And that's one of the things that's listed here that will give you points is if you've got like a folding adapter on there to allow for the, the brace to fold along the side of the, of the gun. Mm -hmm. That that's the purpose of that is to make it so that it's able to fit make into it more storage. Of a pistol. Make, make it able to store something better. Yeah, <laughs> store it in a bag, store it in a case, store it in a locker, wherever. But the thing is, is that 
I would much rather if some crazy person broke into a place where I'm in and starts shooting a rifle that somebody else pulls his braced pistol that's folded up into his backpack, pulls it out, unfolds it, and then drops off the, the bad guy. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I would I would love that. I would buy that guy a bottle of the best whiskey I can find. Yeah. Because he saved my life. Yeah. You know, it's... Again, I'm trying to... They well, only look at things from the this, bad standpoint. They this, don't consider how people can use them for good. This goes to the standpoint, I guess, originally, which is, what is the purpose of the ATF? What is the purpose of the NFA? To infringe rights. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, <laughs> but I'm halfway sh- sorry. <laughs> but I guess, I'm sorry for interrupting. <laughs> where, I guess where I'm going with it is that I understand that there's certain things that you got to be cautious of when it comes to ownership by citizens. I understand that there's like, obviously, we don't want bio weapons like we talked about earlier and nuclear weapons and that kind of thing in their hands. So, yeah. Maybe you're going to have an ATF. Maybe you're going to have an agency that makes sure that crazy stuff doesn't happen. But the NFA's purpose was was what? It was just to say, oh, these are more dangerous than these weapons. And so this parlays into this last little bit that I want to go over, which is an old wives tale that I heard. And I didn't, hearing it, I was like, nah, I don't know. I don't know if that's accurate. And then I went and did some research and it turned out it was both accurate and extremely inaccurate for a lot of different reasons. So the old wives tale was that there's a man that was arrested for NFA violation back when the NFA was first passed. And he was arrested in, in, in violation because he was in possession of a short barreled shotgun. And during his, his appeal, he was told on the, on the, on his first appeal, he was told by the judge that, uh, the, the, I guess the resolution on the case was that he was in violation of the NFA and the NFA had standing in this case because there was no militaristic purpose for short barreled shotgun. So are you talking about Miller versus this is Miller States. versus the United States. So that was actually the Supreme Court decision where the Supreme Court ruled. No, I'm talking about I'm going through the history. So I'm starting okay. at the at the first level before it went to the Supreme Court. Okay. Okay. So at that first level, they, the judge said this is an NFA you know item. This is something that you have to have this license for. You went across state lines. He went from like Oklahoma into Arkansas or something like that. And so you crossed state lines. You broke the law. They busted you. You're in trouble. Right, you don't have your tax stamp for it. You're not allowed to have it. Now, the background on it was he was a known bank robber, and they had been following him. And he crossed state lines. They check him. He's got a shotgun. They put him behind for an NFA violation. Okay, so hey, that's actually what the NFA was exactly for. Yes, to be able to capture people and charge them with stuff because they couldn't charge them with the actual crimes they committed. Right, they didn't have enough evidence to get him with the bank robbery, so they wanted to get him on an NFA violation, get him wrapped up on a felony. Then he can't possess firearms in the future. It's a it's and a goes game. to prison for ten years. Exactly, it's a game. It's a system. So on appeals, because the court said that he was wrong and that he shouldn't have possessed it, and that he was convicted. He went to the United States Supreme Court and was asking his attorney was propositioning the court to hear the case stating that this was absolutely ridiculous that a short barrel shotgun does have purpose within militaristic confines because that's where the original judge qualified this and so the Supreme Court heard the case and they ruled with that judge in saying that the NFA should be intact in this case that a short barrel shotgun served no purpose the wives tale was that well two days before um, before that hearing with the Supreme Court, the the, the United States military purchased twenty thousand you know shotguns, short barreled shotguns for tactical entry purposes, blah blah blah, and you know basically proving the point that oh yeah, it's a, it sounded too good to be true. Two days before, uh, and this, then this guy dies before he can get exonerated and all this stuff. So I started doing some digging. The reality is that in nineteen hundred was the first order that the United States Army took on short barreled shotguns. 
1900. That's 34 years before the NFA. That's correct. And that's 39 years before the Supreme Court ruling. That's number one. In World War I alone, between 20 and 30,000 short-barreled shotguns were issued to United States soldiers in World War II. Actually, so quick, quick subvert. <laughs> the, uh, the, the use of 12-gauge shotguns in trench warfare mm-hmm. was so effective Um, And a lot of it was used by the United States Marines, but it was so effective that the Germans tried to have the United States Marines tried for war crimes after World War One because the shotgun. Wow, that's impressive. Um, So so again, we're talking the first order in 1900. So 30 plus years before the NFA ever exists, the two two of the Supreme Court justices that sat on the case were former military. But they're saying they they, they don't know whether they actually had any kind of knowledge of the fact that like that was being used. That was a common firearm in the military. And so what was really confusing about it is it's one of two things. You either rule and say that it's it, it, if the rule is going to be if the military uses it, then you get to have it because that's what the original judge said. and That's what the Supreme Court upheld. Well, then why do we not have fully automatic firearms in our possession even after the NFA? Even then, because we again, fully automatic firearms were widely used in World War One, which yes. happened before the NFA. Fully automatic firearms were used even more widely in World War Two, which happened NFA. after the NFA. Yes. But. Then, like, at every subsequent war, every subsequent military action, we have just gotten more and more use use of fully automatic firearms all the way up until Vietnam and, and beyond. But Vietnam was when the first time that a fully automatic firearm was now the standard infantry weapon. Right. We went from the M1 Garand, which there were some M1 Garands that had fully automatic capability. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that that was the case during World War II, but I'd have to go back and look at it again. But anyway, but... Well, you have the Thompson <laughs> submachine gun during World War II. Yeah, you had the M3 grease gun, like, you had all, all kinds of stuff, but now you've got all of a sudden every single infantryman is being outfitted with an M14, right? Which is has fully automatic capabilities. Mm-hmm. And then after they had the problems with the M14 and went with the the M16, that has fully automatic capabilities. Then they went with the M4, which is a burst fire, not fully automatic. We can discuss that another time, but. Still NFA controlled with it's burst a fire. semi fully automatic <laughs> <laughs> instead of full semi automatic. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, but man. the point being is, is that there's one of two ways to interpret what the Supreme Court did with that decision. They either said they either set the precedence that it was going to be if the military had it, then we could have it as citizens. Which th- I completely a. agree with that. That was the I original intent of the the Second Amendment, and if you and that's definitely why it's so supported weird. by the Federalist Papers. And it's so weird that they support that idea in those in those findings with the Supreme Court or it's that they don't want us to have military items so which is the NFA going to apply to because they're currently applying the NFA to anything that's that's basically the military could use for war and that's kind of like their excuse right now well then you got this glaring case of Miller versus US where he died before he could before he could go in front of the Supreme Court and his attorney didn't go in front of the Supreme Court and what the Supreme Court really did was they upheld what was done in the lower court and remanded the case back down to the lower court and said for further you're going to need to go back to them aka they were well within line we heard the case but there's nothing for us to rule on but that in and of itself became a ruling that subsequent 
criminal cases that have been heard by the Supreme Court have been compared to. And so it's gotten super muddy. And so I just found it interesting that old wives tell, you know, like I, I love taking little snippets. I hear people say around firearms or around different little subjects and just investigating to see like where the truth is. The truth is it was a little bit muddier than what even no, the original I, I think comment it's, was. I think it's better because the old wives tale is, well, two days before. Okay. Right. Well, the, the, Supreme Court likely didn't know what the military was purchasing two days before they make a ruling. Right. 34 years before? It's inexcusable. Yeah. <laughs> that's that. what I'm saying. Like, that's a part of the, the ruling I don't, can't understand. You had two people that sat, that, that were in the military at some point in their career and had that understanding of the military uses all sorts of different firearms. All it takes is a simple phone call. All it takes is a simple, like, hey, you were in the military, right? What can you tell me? Can you know anything about these firearms? And and just simple conversation a few times here and there, you would have found out that, yeah, shotguns have been used for a really long time and not just normal shotguns, short barrel shotguns specifically yeah. have been used. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, it's this weird thing is like, okay, so we can, we can own it, but with an NFA stamp, like what is the real significance between like, well, look what the pattern of the shotgun because it's short barreled. It's so much worse. It's blah, blah, blah. It's like, it, we're, we're comparing being shot by a 22 rifle in the forehead and being shot with a 50 cal in the forehead. You don't want either one. They're going to kill you either way. Well, one's more effective than the other. Yes and no. Well, if you miss, shot- it's not. A short-barreled <laughs> shotgun is only it's only good up at, in close range. Yeah. Because it's probably the scatter, not much good after about 50 yards. Yeah. The scatter is just going to be gone. And not only just the, the scatter as far as like shooting it everywhere so you're barely getting hit with anything, but also there's far less power mm-hmm. behind those projectiles. Yeah. These aren't moving at all supersonic speeds for, you know, a hundred yards, like a pistol round would or (laughs) rifle rounds, you know, well beyond that. So it's just, uh, you know, the, I I guess the point maybe I'm driving to is that there's nothing consistent and logical about what's been happening with the NFA's application. There's nothing consistent logical that's been happening with the weapons ban that we've seen. There's nothing consistent about where, about how our second amendment is being upheld about how they're interpreting things through the ATF. And then, so, so it's all muddy water is what I'm trying to get at. Right? Like there's, there's just kind of muddy water everywhere you go. And then you have a president who's blatantly basically threatening gun owners through his campaign saying that this is something that's going to end up happening. We're going to ban these firearms. We're going to turn people into felons overnight. And then you see the ATF making these steps during his administration. You're like, clearly I feel like the American people are under scrutiny for breaking no law whatsoever, literally exercising a right and a freedom. Yeah. It just blows my mind that that's where we're finally at in this country. And it's, and it's not, I think some of it wraps up into like, you know, the, the COVID pandemic thing, like this seizure of power by the government of like, Hey, we got to control every aspect of your life and you can't go out and do this and can't do, go out and do that. And it just snowballs into people thinking like, well, Hey, well, let's just fix all the world's problems and have government control every little aspect. It's like, we were supposed to live in a free and dangerous society. Yes. And that's not, and we, it's not a free and dangerous society anymore. And so people that emboldens criminals, that's the thing. Well, like still, criminals, it's still a dangerous society. It's just no longer a free society. Right. Well, and that's a good point because what I was about to say is like gun-free zones are like the most dangerous place to be. Yes. Like if I wanted to avoid, if I were to walk out today and say, I'm going to go do something with my day and I want to make sure I'm in the safest place I can be. Guess where I'm going? Shooting range. Exactly. I'm going to a gun store. I'm going to a shooting range. I'm not even going to a police go, department. I would go to the, I'm, I would, I would say that the gun store is more, is safer than the shooting absolutely. range. Absolutely. Because there are accidents that can happen. But if an accident does happen. I'm not going to a police station. You know why? 
because I have literally watched video after video after video starting in Minneapolis in like 2009, people walking into the lobby of the Minneapolis police department and getting shot dead as they sat waiting for an officer to come help them. I have seen officers ambushed in bakeries. Like I have seen officers ambushed in their patrol cars. You mean to tell me a police station is a safe place? No. Well, <laughs> even the thing is, if I'm going to get shot anywhere, I'd rather get shot on the range. Absolutely. Because at the range, like if, You're gonna have unless, it's my pra- unless it's a personal range, if you've got somewhere, if you get shot at the range, like an accident or something like that, or if it's purpose, somebody intentionally shoots you. Well, you first, you've got people there that mm-hmm. are armed that are going to defend you. Second of all, if it's an accident, you've got a range safety officer there who's been trained in trauma treatment right. so that they can come and they can help you. Mm-hmm. And they've got medical equipment right there so that they can come and they can help you. And that range has an action plan for if some sort sort of accident were to happen that they can get the the ambulance and stuff there that I'm sure that they have other people who are, who are very well trained there that can help you while you're waiting for the ambulance to get there to to take care of you honestly that if if I have to get shot I want to be shot on on a, on a range. <laughs> That's the thing is like this isn't whether I want to be shot. I'm just thinking of like the safest place I could be. I can tell you the most dangerous place like statistically is a gun-free zone. Like yeah. literally any gun-free zone is statistically more dangerous than crossing the stinking street. And I how, how many times have I said before it was like 90 96% of all the mass shootings that have happened since 1950 have happened in gun-free zones. Yep. And I don't think that stat's going to improve. I don't think we're going to see meaningful change um, if we continue down the idea of we need to we need to subvert people's rights. I think you've got to uphold people's rights. You got to allow us to live out there with a little bit of danger, but have the ability to protect ourselves because we all want to be responsible for ourselves. I know that law enforcement's out there and they can do a really good job when they show up. But they can't do a good job if they're not there when it first goes down. You know, they can't stop the drive-by shooting. No. There's been no no drive-by shootings ever been stopped in the United States. I'm sure that it could be prevented with officer presence. No, not even necessarily. There was a case. I'm probably going to misquote what year it was. So I'm not even going to say what year. But it was in recent history. Uh, I know of a city close to us where there was a case where they had drive-by shooting. They had officers on the scene of the drive-by shooting and the next block over drive-by shooting happens. Well, what do you what? mean by recent? Because I, I was, this happened, like this, within, hold on, hold on. This, this happened this morning. It's a little bit of a funny story. So Rue and I are watching Like I come in to the room and she's watching contact Yeah, and we're discussing like, the court case that happens at the end of the movie. If, if you haven't seen it, basically there's, there's a court case where they're arguing what happened but, to yeah. her. Um, but essentially I'm standing there and I'm making an argument how this is dumb. Like, why would this be, this is just Hollywood being Hollywood. Why being would this, case? why would this many people be arguing about this? Actually, I think it's, it's a congressional hearing, yeah. but anyway, why would there be this many people arguing against that? And she goes, we've got to remember this is like almost 30 years ago. And I'm like, no, it's not. This wasn't, this movie was made in the midnight. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put didn't, it this way. Didn't want to admit the fact that the nineties were this, this <laughs> almost occurred, 30 years ago. This occurred uh, for sure within the last 10 years. Okay. And I know that because looking back at my history and what I was doing in the areas I was working, it was definitely within the last 10 years okay. that that case I'm talking about happened. So again, it's an outlier, but you're in no way safe just because of cops there. You know how many people like, no, I, was, I, I agree. I was running up the stairs. Well, I, w- let me put it this way. I was running up the stairs after hearing a gunshot in someone's house, knowing that the ex-husband was standing in there with a firearm against his 
his ex-wife and her lover. And I have the lover run past me as I hear the first shot happen. And I go in the door, up the stairs. I'm yelling. I'm giving commands. I'm trying to get the attention to me because if there's shooting happening, it can't be good for the victim, right? So I'm running up the stairs, another shot. And then I get to the top of the stairs, another shot. And I walk in the room, and I'm too damn late. There's like I, I I don't know what else you could do in that situation. No, I know. Like the thing is, there there are there are things that are deterrents, and but the deterrent is not going to deter everyone. It's not. So I I don't agree with you that you are not any safer if a police is there. That it's not going to stop. That it's I'm, I I'm so here's what I'm saying. For the sake of argument, there are people who would be deterred. From committing a crime because a cop is there. Mm-hmm. That if the cop was not standing there, mm-hmm. they might do something that they won't do because the cop is there. Now, there are absolutely other people who do not care that the cop's there, and this they're still the going to do things. the stuff. And we and we've seen that. And and that's the thing. What I, I'm, what I went I'm, back after after that situation happened, and the, mind you, this is on a Thanksgiving morning. All right, this is supposed to be a, a holiday, a happy day. This was bad. This is a really bad start. This was literally the first call out the door. I put uniform on, briefing, tones drop, gotta go, right? Hop in the car, get up there, bunch of us there, running up to the house, shots start going off. I'm first one in the door, run up the stairs. This situation happens. I go back to the department afterwards. After we secure the scene, we investigate. He committed suicide and he killed his ex-wife. He let the guy that was the new guy run away and, and survive, okay? He, they left behind two kids. <laughs> like oh, it's man. it's a it was a bad it emotionally hurt yeah. right. And knowing that I was that close and still couldn't do anything that sucks. But then I go back and I listen to the nine one one tape, and that is the most disturbing thing you'll ever do in your life is go back and listen to nine one one tape of a call you just been on when you know somebody died right, which I already knew was gonna be rough. But then you listen to it and you hear the confidence that she had that the police were on the way. She had every assumption in her head that the good guys were on the way, that he wouldn't do it. She literally said that. He won't do it. And and this is literally how 911 call goes. 911, what's your emergency? Uh, my ex-husband's standing over me with a gun right now. Uh, where are you at? Here's my address. Okay, well, what's going on? I don't know. I woke up. I heard him rummaging around in the closet. He's not supposed to be here. He comes out of the closet. He's pointing a, you know, a pistol at me. Okay, can you leave the room? He's not letting me leave the room. Okay, well, you know, what's what's he look like? You know, what's his name? She's giving the information and stuff. And and he keeps saying, no, I'm going to do it. And she's like, he's not going to do it. It's whatever. Like, totally casual, nonchalant. She really thinks this is just a ploy for him to get some attention. Yeah. And the things we didn't know at the time, which, you know, you're doing the best you can with the situation. This is like the information we're getting from dispatch on the way there. We're, we're a second short from this being an active shooter, right? So we're treating it like that. Just get there and get there quick. So yeah. we get there, we get there quick. I'm running down a hill towards the house. We're all trying, we're, we're coming from every avenue of approach that we can think of to try to get to the house as quickly as possible, but while not just pulling up in the driveway with our police car, right? So we're trying to be like, somewhat smart but you still got to get there so i'm running and i had no idea until i was in the room until i was in there where this had occurred that he had perfect view of every one of us arriving every one of us running down the hill every one of us coming to the house you can see the whole thing happening you don't know that until you know hindsight well okay i understand not knowing what room that she's in it's something that maybe the dispatcher could have discussed with her um like coming from coming from my background my training background Mm -hmm. not 
military, but my, my own personal training that I've taken on myself, I understand how important it is to, to have intelligence going into the situation absolutely, of where people are, where I'm coming in from. And the vast majority of the situations you go into, you don't have intelligence. No, I completely agree with that. And I know that you, most of your intelligence that you're gathering comes from, comes from the uh, dispatcher taking the call. And who knows how long that call is going to be and what all they're going to be able to get from you. And I completely understand that. Uh, what I'm The only reason I brought it up is that if it was at all possible that she was on the phone, that the dispatcher could have gotten that information, where's the room located? Like as far as well, what side of the house? Like, you know, where where is it? What can they see from there? Like that would be good information to have sending sure. you guys in there. So because... Obviously, you're going well, to a situation where somebody is armed. Yeah. So coming into a situation, you're going into a building where somebody is armed, having a little bit of an understanding of, okay, well, is that guy going to be able to see where I pull up? Is he going to start shooting at me from the window? That's all information. If I've got to go somewhere where somebody is armed, I'd really love to have that. Oh, we would so, have loved to. And, and to give you kind of like a, a, an idea of what the situation, how it was playing out. Uh, and the reason why we, we really didn't know what was happening. Number one, we had no idea where they were at in the house. Number one. So there's no indication that it was in a bedroom or where. Number two, you don't have the layout of every house memorized in your head. You don't I'm know not. where each of these rooms are, even if they said we're in the master bedroom. Well, is it on the back side of the house? Is that on the east, west, north, south? What it, you know, like how much information can you get out of somebody who's got a gun pointed at their head? Number no, one. No, I agree. But number two, the way that you were des- describing this, mm-hmm. this seemed like a situation where she was pretty calm. She was discussing with the 911 operator. Obviously, the um, the husband was not, or the ex husband, the assailant. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's that's more accurate. Uh, was not using, was not perturbed by the fact that she was on the phone. No, not trying to force her off of the phone. So she was freely able to communicate this stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm not trying to to crap on your dispatcher. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is, I, I feel like that would have been good information for them to give you. <laughs> And so that you guys might have had a better chance of preventing this from ending in tragedy. Now, just the, the fact that he saw you, he might have done it just hearing you break in when he couldn't see you. Right. So I, I'm not going to say that that would have absolutely fixed the situation. But if you can get the information, the more information that you've got, the better it can be. Yeah. And, and some of the things are like running through your head. Like as I'm as I'm running down the hill, I'm not just running at the front door down the hill. Like I'm coming at an angle to the house. Of get, course. Do my best. Like, you know, if you've got four corners of a house and, the, you know, you got a north side of the house, east and west side of the house. And I'm running towards this house. I'm trying to come at like at the northeast corner or the northwest corner, the southeast, so that I've got the best chance of being concealed. Yeah. We had no idea with the window that was there. Number one, all the windows were looked like they were, had shades pulled or yeah. something. Now, what it was is they actually had a solar screen on the outside of the, all the glass on that side of the house yeah. so that the evening sun wouldn't you know bother them as much. And so it was mirrored. So we couldn't tell if there was lights on or anything, yeah. right? Like it's just, there's windows. You can't see in, can't see out, right? Like what do we know, right? So there's nothing that we could use. So, you know, urgency, Get yeah. there as quick as quick. If you don't have good information, get involved as quick as you can until you do have good information. No, I agree with that. So, and literally, as there was a couple, you know, a couple of you know fellow officers that were at the base of the stairs of the house as as I was coming up, and they were grabbing the door as I'm running up the stairs, right? And then that's when we hear the first gunshot. Right as the door opens, this dude comes bolting out of the door, like literally clothes falling off. And it's like, he goes around the corner. I didn't even bother chasing him because he doesn't have a gun in his hands. Right. Like, and we don't have all the details, but if you've got a guy that's running from the scene and don't have guns in his hands, like 
process of elimination. And you weren't the quick. only officer on. No, on no, no. Mind you, there's there's seven or eight officers. So you can you being the first one there into the building. Well, I, I was can, the first after he like. I don't, okay, <laughs> it happened really quick. Let me put it this way: there was two officers that were near the door as I was approaching the house. He runs out as they're about to get to the door. Two other ones, because he gets by so quick, two other ones start chasing him and trying to grab him and don't catch him until two houses later in a cul-de-sac. But there there you just you just explained it. Mm-hmm. Other officers were already in pursuit. Yes. You didn't have to go after him. Exactly. My purpose was not, not him anymore. I had other guys to take care of him. Like, yeah, I guess I should do a better job of like explaining the order of operations when it comes to like how we tactically do things. I don't worry about my other officers. They know what they're doing. I don't have to be their backup. I got to deal with the active shooter now. Right. I just sort of bullet fired. So I start running up the stairs and the sergeant is, this is first shift with us. And so we all aren't super familiar with each other on tactics, even though we're trained the same, we're all just slightly you know different on things. So he's just like, go, he's telling me, go point, man, go. Yeah. So I start going up the stairs. He's covering my six and looking down and we're trying to determine where the shot came from, whether it was upstairs, downstairs, cause it's kind of muffled. We're close to it, but it, it's hard to really tell. It sounded upstairs and it sounded to the right, you know? So I'm going upstairs instead of down immediately. Then the second shot goes and I clearly know it's behind me to the right. And so I'm climbing up the stairs and I'm turning the corner and running up the stairs and, and giving out commands, police department, you know, I'm yelling, doing my thing and, and, you know, slip on the stairs, stand back up, get back going up the stairs. And then boom, the last shot fired. I'm like, you know, walk in the room and it's just, it's too late. Hey, nobody else needs to come in. This is a crime scene now where we're done. There's nothing we can do. I, I clearly knew from the victim that was on the bed. There's nothing I could do for her at all. Uh, he had shot her twice. She was dead. Um, and then he turned the gun on himself. He didn't want to be captured. He didn't want to get into a gunfight with us, which luckily, like, like if there's anything good is that he didn't want to get into a fight with us that day. I mean, the last thing my family needed was a phone call on Thanksgiving day that dad got shot, yeah. you know? So I'm okay with that too, but uh, just a, a bad situation. But the point being is like, I, I don't say it lightly when I say that law enforcement's just moments away when you need them yesterday you know when seconds count yeah they'll be there in minutes law enforcement is only minutes away yeah Yeah. and i'm not saying that she had an opportunity that she would have been able to defend herself or anything like that but i think that i I think about one of my sisters for example being in the same situation yeah um golly it just it tear me up if i didn't do my job as a brother to teach her how to defend herself and have an option maybe she wouldn't have ever had the option to pull the gun out of her dresser you know or or to you know be able to counteract what happened well but but just knowing that you know that you instill the tools and the mindset and the know-how of like here's your best case here's what you can do here's an option period if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out but mindset mental tools Mm -hmm are the most valuable thing that you can absolutely you can teach what was the mental rep of actually putting yourself in that situation and thinking about how you would react to it. That does more good than actually being in that situation and practicing it. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, like, so I, this is not a dog on police and this is not a dog on that situation or my partners or anything like that. It's more of like the reality of, what we're, we're asking somebody else to do. I, I'm trained. So are all the guys with me. We're all trained. We all know what we're supposed to do. We know what our job is and we know what we need to do, but sometimes you just can't do it fast enough for somebody. There's just no way to, to solve the problem. You can't control give, all the variables. No, but at the same time, even when you're right there, there's like, you got my takeaway is if I was going to say anything to anybody about that is your safety is in your own hands. Yes. And if you told me that my sister died that way, um, 
you know, because of the same situation happening to her, but she wasn't able to defend herself because of a gun law because of a specific gun law that says she couldn't own a particular type of firearm because of what it's potential danger is to society in the wrong hands. I'm like, <laughs> that would be the worst feeling in the world. You know, and that goes back to what we talked about with the whole idea of if it can save only one life, mm-hmm. but what about the other direction? If it can only, if it can save only one life by trying to limit what the, the bad guy has, well, how many lives can it save by allowing the good guy to, to have it. A lot of people say, well, you don't need a pistol. You don't need a pistol AR. You don't need a SBR AR. I'm you, like, let me explain something. People having shot a lot of different firearms. One of the most widely inaccurate firearms is a freaking pistol. Yeah. Okay. A, a handgun period is, is, is largely not accurate until you become finely tuned to its accuracy. And then you can start being somewhat accurate with it. Well, but you're not like, it's not, a, I'm not going to take it more than a hundred yards ever. So ruse ruse very first time I took her out to a course and she was learning rifle shooting mm-hmm. very first day shooting rifles. She shot at a hundred yards. Mm-hmm. She shot the target. It was an eight by eight target, eight by eight steel target at a hundred yards. And she was able to shoot that after only one day of training. Mm-hmm. Do you know how much training it takes to teach somebody how to shoot an eight by eight steel target at a hundred yards with a handgun? <laughs> oh, I do because it took me to be able to shoot at 50 yards accurately. It took me, I mean, all of two to 3000 rounds minimum to get proficient with that particular pistol and to understand its bullet trajectory. Like the, like the, it's such a slow moving bullet. You literally watch the thing rise and fall onto the target at a hundred yards. Yeah. It like goes it's back. not a joke, especially if you're shooting 45, you can literally see the dang bullet flying. But, um, but the point that I'm trying to bring is, is the pistol is highly inaccurate, but you take something like an AR platform, which number one has a quarter of the recoil of any pistol that I've ever shot. Oh yeah. There are, there I have heard uh, so angry cops is another great YouTube <laughs> channel um, and he talks about how when he was a drill sergeant he used to teach uh, recruits there at, at basic that there had uh, not to fear the recoil of the rifle by putting the stock up against his junk uh-huh. and firing off a few rounds exactly because it just it's not it's almost non-existent it's more of a like sound than it is a feeling so like I, I literally can tell I, I'm listening to the sound of the recoil of the buffer spring to be able to tell when I just emptied a Mac I don't yeah. know if you do that but no that's I literally yeah. like I hear the shoot-tong. I'm like okay, I'm good Do-tong. Do-tong. I'm like oh <laughs> Mac change like I know it before the gun even tells oh, yeah. me Absolutely. I can tell by the recoil spring so uh, you know but, but it's the sound it's not even the feeling <laughs> exactly that's what i mean it's like you can't feel it as much as you just hear it right and so i'm looking at this i'm like if i was going to train somebody like I, I specifically have you know grizzly's wife i'm like i want her to have an ar-15 pistol in her hands why do i want that she has all kinds of health reasons why that is a better option to not have to mitigate the recoil Number two, it's an easier functioning thing for most people. The size and weight of it as a as an AR pistol is a great platform for most people because she has T Rex arms. Okay, she <laughs> she's, she's like Rah! we're not talking about the company. <laughs> no, no, she's her arms just aren't built for a eighteen inch rifle, right? Like and. And oh 18 inch rifle. Oh, we are coming for you. <laughs> the I told you. I told you that was the thing that irritates me more than anything else. Okay. Well, I will get my Ann and Ann's figured out. 
Okay, so that particular firearm, I think, is a really good option for somebody like her due to her specific needs. And if you were to tell me... I, I wish that we could get her an SBR. Right. But my point is, is that just saying, here's a pistol for your self-defense is not always the right option for people. A pistol for her is not the right option. I, I have assisted her in learning about firearms. I've assisted her in like what she feels comfortable shooting. And when somebody tells me what they're comfortable shooting and what they're not shooting, listen to them. They know what they personally are comfortable with. And she, and why would well, I not want to give her a, a firearm like a five, five, six NATO that's in a pistol form that she can properly and safely handle in a dangerous situation that is highly accurate and has more, more capability to stop a threat than that pistol. Well, and even beyond that, let's look at manual of arms. So I have, cannot tell you the number of classes that I've been to where there's a female or a weaker male or a younger person who has a hard time racking the slide back it's on the pistol. You know, I, I never thought of it as an issue, but then again, uh, well, I'm, I'm I, a big dude. I never thought of it as an issue until I tried to do left-handed <clears throat> one-handed drills with a boot. And then I realized, Oh, it's really tough to rack this stinking slide. So if you're I've not paying never attention. gone off of the boot, I usually go you off of my belt. Oh no. See the belt's great. But like they have you like man down drill, like you're on a knee behind cover, that kind of thing. And so we practice like between the knees. I don't know if you've ever done that one. We practiced on the boot and we practice on the belt. I've we done between the knees. Yeah. We practice a lot of different, we've actually practiced like clamping on your, you know, your elbow anyway. But the point, being is like when you go to do the boot that's Actually, when i realized i, think I like, have oh, i think i have done so the boot. easy <laughs> i think i think i have done the boot yeah but like doing offhand on the boot behind you you can't see it what's happening but i think it was one of those it's deals sloppy. where i think it was one of those deals where they told like they he went through all of the the things like, it's an option and then choose yeah choose, <laughs> choose your option and i always went off of the belt yeah so fair enough but like i don't always wear a belt so you know you can go off the pocket yeah well mm. Depends on the sites that you have. The sites that we were carrying at that time, the MMP sites, they were really they have a really steep. They don't they oh don't have gosh. a good edge. They're just a ramp, so yeah. like everything slides off, and so yeah. it's super hard. But maybe sometime we can talk about uh, talk about uh, accessory selections. <laughs> yeah, but but no, the thing but, is like so be, I tried. It's like difficult. Instance, it's difficult for some people to be able to to pull that we'll slide. Call, back. We'll call her T Rex. Okay, mm. so Grizzly's T Rex. <laughs> I think that sticks. Yeah. We got if she comes back this. on here, she's going to be T-Rex. Yeah. All right. So oh, sorry. It's already, it's already <laughs> it's decided. Done. It's settled. It's a settled matter. If you want to debate it, you have to come on the podcast. Um, <clears throat> but so T-Rex, I suggested like an MMP shield EZ because it did a really good job of taking the recoil spring down to a minimum and having the whole action work really smooth with, with light action, you know, move. And I'm telling you, it was still something that was like, Mm, she wasn't super comfortable with it. An AR in a pistol variant with just just built normally built right. It has a really good place for her to grip and be able to cycle that firearm and get it into action. Well, and yeah, it's it's so much easier because you're not having to hold on with that like that that <laughs> grip not, that, yeah. that, that certain angle that you're holding onto a slide and trying to push back mm -hmm. versus you're actually on an AR. You're able to get those fingers around that charging handle. You've got a solid position which to pull it back mm -hmm. and. Yeah, it's 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 way easier, and you can get extended catches on on there for for the charging handles to pull it back easier. You can get so, those no, bad levers, so you can do it one handed a lot well, easier. First of all, that. I don't think that you should do anything but a bad lever or some sort of other uh, ambidextrous device. There are a few other ones out mm -hmm. there. Uh, American Defense Manufacturing makes a phenomenal one yeah. um, that has a little lever on there. It's not a, the bad lever; it doesn't go through the trigger guard. It's actually above the uh, the magazine release. Okay, so and that's up there. And 
you can uh, both lock back and release. The ones that are just released, I just feel stupid because I can I can just as easily. In fact, a lot of times I do hit the release as soon as I load in my my mag. I do I load the mag, hit the the release with like, my thumb, <laughs> and there I go. But the uh, but no the the uh, having an ambidextrous um, catch is much easier. Yeah. That's that's whole another thing on manual of arms. But uh, no, but I agree. There there are things that just make using that a whole lot easier than using a traditional handgun. Does it make T Rex more dangerous? <laughs> Technically, yes. Because now T Rex has the ability to get engage in the battle well let's, faster. Let's but look at type of make danger. T Rex more dangerous. It makes let's, her more effective. Exactly That's not dangerous. So I would so that so, so what I was saying type of danger mm-hmm. and what you said effectiveness that that qualifies better. But type of danger more dangerous to whom? Exactly more dangerous to herself. More dangerous to other people that might be in her home. I think, I think or it's more, more dangerous. dangerous to the person who is now a threat to her safety and or, her home, or her maybe family. who is now not as much of a threat because she's well, got an option. Well, they won't be like yeah. she was going to be more dangerous to them. Mm-hmm. She's going to be more effective in defending herself and defending her home, and that's what I want everyone to be able to be. Exactly. There, there's options for everything. Like when, when it's guys like us, man. Like Red. Like we're we're bigger than the average man. We have no problem racking a slide. We have no problem doing anything manipulating a firearm. And I just finished my gym, so I'm going to be getting even bigger. <laughs> Get swole, son. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, you know, like, I just... Uh, anyway, we're, we're kind of beating the dead horse on this particular point, but it's just this idea of, like, you, your safety's in your own hands. I really prefer that the government not regulate what you're going to do with your personal safety, and especially when we're talking about people that have disparity in strength or ability, either through... Um, either through disability or health conditions or just the, their build. There's some people that are just not built the same way that means you are. Yeah. Genetics are a mother trucker, right? So like you just don't get, you don't know what you're going to get. Right. No. And so some people need to need a bigger hand up than others. Like this is last little point I'll make on this and maybe we'll just wrap up. But when I was a police officer, I, I would, I worked in a school for a while and I would give fourth amendment classes to the kids and I'd, you know, patrol the hallways and I was a school cop, you know, and, and, but it was for me, it was a good fit. I had kids at the time. I wanted to be able to spend a little more time at home. Well, hey, I and, think that all schools should have a cop roaming yeah. around. I think that that does increase the safety of the school. It does. I know for a fact it does because there was a lot of things that I prevented from ever even coming close to being an option just because of the the you know presence of the force. But <clears throat> but there's <laughs> while I was doing that, I, ha- I would have the the kids ask me. They'd be like, "Hey, uh, hey, Officer Abrams, did you uh, you ever tase anyone?" You know, you always got these silly questions, right? Oh, yeah. And no, there's so, and I kind of laugh at him and I look at him and I say, you know, Oscar Abrams was kind of a big guy, right? And I said, I, do you really want me to stand up in front of the judge and try to justify tasing somebody when I can just hold them on the ground and just put them in handcuffs because I decide I'm going to put them in handcuffs? Like, I'm big enough. I get to make those decisions. So I've never pepper sprayed anyone because I've been able to control them and not hurt myself and not hurt others. I have ne- I used my taser twice in my career and one had no effect. The other one was a perfect effect and was very safe to use. I was going <laughs> to, I'll tell this little, really quick story. It's kind of funny. I'm, I'm leaving the school. And mind you, this is, you know, kids ask these questions all the time. So this is always in the back of your head. I'm leaving the school. I hear a partner that's on road patrol saying, hey, I'm going out in this neighborhood. I got this guy that that came back to the area. We know he's got warrants. He's going back by his parents' house. He's on foot. So I'm going to go see if I can find him. He finds him. Oh, he's running from me. 
Oh, okay. Where is he at? You know, oh, he's running through the backyard, going through this way. All right. I'm pretty close. In fact, I was the closest officer to the area. So I just swing on over in the area and I'm pulling down the road. And I'm asking him, where's he at? He's about to come out in front of the house right in front of you. <laughs> As I'm pulling down the street, sure enough, he runs out in front and crosses the road right in front of me. So I just pull my, I'm going to hit me charge. Hit him with the car. No, <laughs> no, that's deadly force. Bad idea. So I, but I, I pull in, I kind of just whip the car in real quick and I put it in park, lock the door, jump out and I chase him to the backyard. He jumps a little fence. I opened the fence. See, people don't try before they pry, right? The, the gate was unlocked, so I just lifted the latch and opened the gate and walked through. <laughs> but he had jumped the fence, went to the back door of the house, and was trying to get the, the sliding glass door to come open. It wasn't the house he was going to, so I knew he's basically burglarizing. So I pulled my pistol out, right, to give him a gun challenge. It's our, our protocol. I'm by myself, and he's about to commit a felony. I'm going to give him a gun challenge. I'm not going to shoot him, but I'm going to say, you follow my commands or you do something dangerous. I've got the option. I don't I don't need to be using intermediate stuff. I'm protection, yeah. right? So I've got my gun out. I say, hey, get on the ground, get on the ground. He sees me, turns and starts running through the yard. I holster my pistol again because he's got nothing in his hands and he's, you know, it's clear to see he's not a threat in that moment. He's running through the yard. Dog, tries to take him at the ankles. He jumps the fence. Now the dog's concerned about me. I'm like, oh. yeah. Luckily, I literally, I think I was like five feet from the end of his chain. So it worked out great for me. He got stopped before I got there. But as he jumps over the fence, my partners are still trying to get in the area. They don't have a good area cordoned off or anything. I know, we've identified who the person is. We know they have wants and wants. And he's actively fleeing, knowingly fleeing from law enforcement. He's committing another felony so like hey as he jumps over he falls flat on his face and i pull my taser out just as he gets over the fence and it's a it's a like a you know four foot chain length and i come over the top of the fence with my taser instead of jumping over it and i say if you get up i'm tasing you he looks back at me he sees the taser he jumps up off the ground and gets about a step and a half before i deploy the taser i'm like oh he's running again okay pop so you know taser 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 pop it hit him perfectly it, so there's like quadrants on the body that we're trying to hit we're trying to hit like right shoulder left hip that's okay. like perfect you know basically if you bifurcate the body horizontally and vertically we're trying to get in two opposite zones gotcha so i got him in two opposite zones his legs lock he falls flat to the ground and i just stand there and i'm like if you get up or you try to flee again i'm going to tase you again but i'm not going to cross the fence which is a dangerous time for me as i'm crossing the fence he could jump up with a knife and stab me or something yeah. right i'm just going to stay where i'm at i'm going to tell my partners where i'm at and they'll handcuff him and it worked out beautifully they come over they handcuff him eh, no biggie you zap no him again nope only took one time i was very i was very nice about it i didn't hold the trigger down and do anything stupid i followed my training my protocol and i did things by the book and it was a great one you can see the taser deployment on the because we had cameras on them and stuff and sergeant looks over it hey good use of force you did the right thing you made your call outs you had the you know probable cause to do what you were doing you followed policy it's all good man okay later that was the one time i used one and you know it was like <laughs> i kept trying to explain this to the kids though. i'm like really Look at the size of me. Look how big of a man I am. Look how much in control of myself I am. Do you think I have justification for pulling a baton out and beating somebody who's just passively resistive? No. I got to be reasonable with my use of force. So, well, but there are a lot of cops that are not your size. This is true. 
and the, and, and it causes uh, different issues for them. I, yeah. And it's no disrespect. I got, I, I, well, let me put it this way. I got one particular female officer that I used to work with and talk about T-Rex. <laughs> she was like, un, she was like at five foot. She was really probably like four foot eight and 98 pounds soaking wet with her uniform on. But she was the one of the feistiest ones, but she always did it by the book. She never did anything underhanded. She threw a, a was in a fight one time <clears throat> And guys trying to punch me as I'm lifting them in the air to get them, you know, away from my partner who just knocked into a fireplace. And she jumps up behind him and throws in an LVNR standing on top of a console TV and then goes flying with him as I'm taking him to the ground and stayed on top of him the entire time and you applies the LVNR properly, not choking him, but disrupting the flow of blood to his brain. He passes out. We handcuff him safely, set him back up. He comes back to no problems into the hospital, check on him. He's got no injuries, no permanent injuries. I've got a little nick on my neck from a thing, but all of us walk away safely. So it's like, I'll never believe that like, just because somebody has a size disparity or strength to disparity that there's an excuse for their actions. Nah, you are properly trained at one time. If you choose to keep up on that training you choose to be a really good officer and be dedicated to your craft, there's no excuse for you using excessive force. You have the tools and the ability to handle yourself and to be and, and protect yourself and others. Well, but that is assuming that they have been properly trained. I, I, Yes, I will agree that there are some departments that don't have good training. I will say the department I was at, there's no excuse. They sent us through one of the best academies in the country. They had continuing education. Could there be more? Absolutely. I wish there I wish there was twice as much training as there was. But there was essentially no excuse through through the trainings that I went through. I couldn't see how you could possibly have an excuse to not do it unless you purposely just didn't want to try. And there's people like that. I'm not going to say every person on the department was squared away and able to handle themselves. There's some people that struggled on occasion. No, I can definitely say that about the military. Yeah. Well, just, yeah, that's, that's a good, you know, parallel is like you, you have an expectation go through boot camp, but there's, that doesn't mean it's going to be that way when you get out of boot camp that everybody's no. going to stay squared away. I've got some stories, but we'll have to go into that another time. Uh, um, we've been burning the candle on this one. Yeah. Yeah, we have. <laughs> um, and I've still got other stuff that I wanted to talk about but they're gonna have to wait till uh or they're gonna have to wait till next time yeah so i wanted to talk about uh some of those individual characteristics that made up an assault weapon yeah um, and uh well yeah i've got some good arguments for that but we'll, we'll talk about it another time i want to at some point dive into a couple different topics too i know we've hit a lot of firearm stuff but uh some of this uh history of um the israeli state would be oh, yeah. really fun to go into i want to talk about that uh, and uh, really, covid19 i got some really interesting stuff to discuss about i think that there'd sometime. be some good some good stuff to talk about with that i definitely want to do uh, a full prohibition podcast <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and discuss that. I, I also want to discuss, um, nuclear power. And that, I, yes. we, we talked about that briefly and about how, uh, nuclear reactors don't explode. Nuclear reactors they are not down. nuclear bombs. <laughs> right. But I would really like to discuss that. Um, especially given my, my training and my knowledge on that, uh, on that, matter but uh no we'll, we'll take a vote on the uh, facebook group yes what subject do you want to hear next because we'll put these few subjects up as, as an option but it'd be great to get some feedback and see if there's something because i think we're we are not just stuck on the second amendment although lately we've had to be because number one we had to get through the history but number two there's so much development things are happening at a rapid pace right now as far as the the how our country is handling the second amendment and how our rights are being you know potentially infringed on so i appreciate yes. you taking the time to sit 
down and go through these things. I know this was probably a long one, but you know what? I think they can handle it. Yeah. We had fun. Yeah. It was a good time, guys. Always um, do. Hit us up on the Facebook page. Let us know what you think. And uh, we, we hope to get some ratings maybe once in a while here on our podcast page on uh, Apple, Amazon, uh, you name it. We got it. We got our podcast out there everywhere right now. So appreciate you guys. Yeah.